Good morning, everybody. It's Mark Steiner right here on The Mark Steiner Show on your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. As you know, that uh, for the last for a long time now, every Wednesday we uh, talk to folks from the city paper about what's in this week's issue. Uh, so we are doing that, but in an expanded version here uh, during this hour of the Mark Steiner Show, because it's not really just what's in the city paper this week, is how long we're going to see the city paper and what's going to be in it for the next month or two or three or whatever that is. Mm-hmm. The Sun Media Group that bought it last year uh, it decided to shut it down. So we're going to talk about that, and uh, we're going to talk about the state of media in this city. Um, as you know, we a week from Monday will be the last day that we'll be broadcasting here in WEAA. Uh, and um, so these kind of two media events say a lot, and we'll talk a bit about all of that. Uh, there are also all kinds of rumors. Now, this is a total rumor I'm about to give you. So let me say it up front. I have no facts. Uh, this might be complete the bogus, but I'll throw it out there anyway because I've not heard it for three, four people actually, who said it to me that that you know there's even rumors that the Sinclair Group has contemplated negotiating and buying out not just TV stations but newspapers as well, including our own here in town. Could that happen? Yes, it could happen. Will it happen? We don't know. But it does say a lot about where the future of media is going. And we always talked all these years about the, uh, not we didn't, but many people talked about how the liberal media uh, is biased and is taking over the nation. Well, is the, is the, is the media really that liberal? Uh, is it that progressive? Who really owns this media? What does it mean when you have a very right-wing conservative group taking over television stations around the country? How does that tie into what's happening here in Baltimore with the demise of the city paper? And I will just say this. For a long time, I, my relationship with the city paper began to almost 25 years ago with the beginning of the Mark Steiner show. We had a, a relationship with them from the very beginning, and it's gone on and off over the years. We've had one now for the last several years here, the last seven years at least, I think, uh, on the Mark Steiner Show here at WEAA. And we've seen the city paper also grow. The city paper in the very beginning was an almost completely white newspaper that uh, played to the quote-unquote white hip community of downtown Baltimore and around, and that was its uh, audience. And I've seen on the leadership of the last three editors that people have done a, a really serious work in trying to change that in terms of who writes the paper, who edits the paper, who's what is covered in the city. Um, and it's interesting to me, there's a juxtaposition here about how the city paper has made a huge difference in terms of both culture and news and reporting that affects the African-American community that it never did before, really, in any significant way, I think, uh, in years past. And now it will be going dark as well. So what does all that mean? I think that things are not necessarily connected to me in a conspiratorial way because I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't believe in a lot of conspiracy theories. I just believe in the reality of our existence and how forces converge to create things. And I think it's happening right now. And why is it happening? So we're joined in studio. We are here with uh, Ben Soderberg, who is one of the three editors-in-chief of the city paper that I was referring to in the last three editors. He's now the editor. Brandon, good to have you in the house. Thanks for having me. Uh, in the house also is Lisa Snowden-McRae, who is a writer and associate editor of the city paper. Good to have you on the, uh, on the show, Lisa. Thank you. And um, every time I see Lisa, I keep thinking what you said in this program the day after the election. It just stuck <laughs> with me. It was long in my, you remember that day? Yes, I remember it. I came in here having like a hoodie and jeans <laughs> on because I did not want to talk. <laughs> And just saying, I'm scared. Yeah. I remember that very well. I don't forget that day. Um, And uh, we're here with Maynard Woods, a good friend, editor-at-large of the City Paper, but also a columnist where he puts out Democracy in Crisis, which is a column that appears in all weeklies across the country. How many now? A little over 20. 20. That's significant. Three, two, three. And then you don't even know how many papers you're in? <laughs> very organized. <laughs> so, so Great business minds over here. So, um, um, uh, and also, of course, we do the podcast together, Democracy in Crisis, that comes out of his column um, that uh, appears uh, in those newspapers around the country and also here on the Mark Steiner Show on WEAA. So welcome. And you all can join us here at 410-319-8888. You can write to us here at talk at steinershow.org by email. You can tweet us at Mark Steiner, log on to our Facebook pages. But do join in. Do you read the city paper? Um, what do you think about the state of media in our community and around the country? 410-319-8888 is the number. So did, did, is this really a shock to you when you first heard the city paper was closing? I'll let you take that, Brandon. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was a shock that it was closing now. Um, whether it was a, sh- I don't think it was a shock that we would eventually probably be closed by the sun. I feel like we felt uh, 
near death a lot of the time here. Um, you just kind of look at the uh, landscape of media and you look at what we do and what the sun does. And I think we've always kind of, there's days where, you know, a door would close and we'd be like, what's going on behind that door? This is it. Everybody get your stuff together. So we've kind of always been worried this is going to happen, but I guess we're surprised at how it happened. And I didn't quite expect it right now, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I've never been in a job anywhere where it felt super comfortable and, (laughs) you know, there weren't these overwhelming powers that be of, like, people in suits that kind of could take away our jobs at any minute. So that's always been the case, I think. So I wasn't there as long as Brandon and Baynard. But, yeah, there was definitely, like, you know, kind of that lingering residual fear. But it was definitely, I think, a surprise to me. I mean, you know, I'm as uh, pessimistic in general as a person can be, but but I was surprised. And one of the reasons that one of the things that I I think was surprising, and and this is speaking as someone who wasn't involved in any of the meetings or the negotiations, but the staff had just signed cards to um, affiliate with the Washington Baltimore Newspaper Guild, which um, is the union, the union, and so I think that that it would be hard not to be shocked. To be told that yeah you're we're going to recognize your union, and you're no longer going to exist. Um, that is, I, I thought maybe they would try to fight the union, do like what's hap- been happening for a long time, the Chicago Reader, uh, which is another all weekly, which is owned by a daily also in Chicago, and they voted to unionize almost immediately after we were bought at the beginning of 2015, and their union still has not been recognized to this day. So something like that seemed more likely to me than. Uh, what's ha- what happened? Just we're closing you down. So before we hit the phones here, four one zero three one nine eighty eight eighty eight. I mean, I, do you think? Are you saying this? You think there's a some kind of juxtaposition synergy between the fact that you, whoever? I mean, you guys were in management, so you didn't vote. You're, you're in management, so you didn't you didn't do the union thing. But but it was. Do you think there's a connection? I, I think they probably can't talk about that because on the one hand being management and on the other hand Lisa being someone who was part of the bargaining unit being – so my editor-at-large position is largely symbolic in the sense that I do a lot of work with the paper but I'm not on a, a salary. So I wasn't in those and have stayed away from getting too much inside information so that I can talk about it. But but I don't – I can't say that there's a cause um, because we don't know what happened on – internal negotiations of the sum, but you can certainly say there's a correlation. Yeah, there's a, a, they made it look like it was a retaliation, even if it wasn't. That's sort of a bad way to time it. And I think that we, not we can get, kind of fall into this too much right now, but I mean, I think that, you know, whether you look at um, what's happening right now with National Public Radio and after SAG, potentially going on strike and the negotiations taking place there at National Public Radio with reporters and producers or whether you look at what happened at uh, the other public radio station in town where people were trying to organize a union and that kind of were underhanded and undermined uh, the employees of uh, the way they kind of dealt with it to kill the idea of a union. I mean, and there's, so I mean, to me, I think the thing there's not a connection is, is I don't think that's the reason they're shutting it down. But I think that you're seeing this happening across the country. You were saying earlier before we walked in the studio, this is happening in Oakland. It's happening with other papers around the country, right? Other well, all weeklies. Well, so this over the past couple of years, there's been there was an experiment. I mean, as all weeklies were struggling post 2008, as all print media, um, but particularly Craigslist hit all weeklies. I think really hard with with as classified advertisements came. And so either there was a big push to consolidate. So you have a company like Southcom, um, which owns the Washington City Paper, the Nashville Scene, several other papers. We City Paper was owned by five, by a company that had four or five other papers before uh, Baltimore Sun Media Group bought it. And there was this sort of experiment of, of alts being bought by dailies. The, the San Francisco Bay Guardian uh, was the, one of the oldest alts founded in, I think, 1966, uh, in San Francisco right. had been right. one of the most, I mean, their motto was print the news and raise hell, one of the most alt of the alts. And they got bought by a daily and within a year, shortly after we were bought, were shut down. Uh, the same thing happened with Metropulse in Knoxville, Tennessee. They were bought by E.W. Scripps Company and shut down. And both of those in much worse ways than the Sun's doing it. To give the Sun credit, they were both announced that they were closing and that same day were closed. Their websites went dark. 
Um, they were locked out of their offices. They weren't allowed to get their email or computers anymore. Lost all their notes, all their documents. Um, so the son is at least being, uh, you know, compassionate in their uh, euthanasia, I think, rather than, than just a drive-by. So, I mean, I'm, on, I'm up on the phone. I'm Hank, you're the first caller up. We're going to come right to your call at 410-319-8888. And the folks who did call in, call back. We want to hear what you are thinking about all this. Uh, I know a lot of our listeners also are readers of the city paper. Um, and I really want to hear your ideas and thoughts of what this closing means. I mean, so what does this closing mean to you all? I mean, what, what, do you th- what's, what is the hole that's being left? For me, it was a chance. I, I think the thing that I tell everybody when they come to me with their sad faces and asking me if I'm okay is like, this is the best <laughs> job that I've ever had. Like, this is a job where, you know, I I worked kind of on the periphery of news for a while. Um, I got to work. I got to freelance at the Afro before I worked here, which was a, was an amazing, great experience. But you know, the Afro doesn't necessarily have the readership that City Paper does. So this was a chance for me to kind of take the biggest spotlight that I've had in my career and pointed at a lot of things that I feel like have been ignored in this city for a long, long time and talk about issues that, you know, related to black people and that weren't necessarily always look at how awful everything is. Or if it is look at how awful everything is, let's take a deeper look at why, like systemically why did these things happen? And that's what it's been for me. And that's what it seems like people have responded um, responded to the stories that I've written about that have been specifically like kind of saying um, I think like the biggest response I've had is my story that I wrote about Turner Station and black communities right um, right 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 remember, right yeah so right. you don't usually hear those kind of things unless something terrible unless people are getting shot up in the in the communities or right. you know everyone's dying of illness or whatever so I think this just like kind of talking about that was something that you don't always get to see or you don't always get to kind of hear people say, you know, to me it's not strange to come on here and say that I'm scared post-Trump because everybody that I know feels the same way, but, you know, that's not something that people get a large audience to be able to say all the time. That's really important. Anybody want to jump in before we open the phones here? Um, I just think that, like, we start a lot of the news. We're often early on the news, and once we cover something, it allows other people, bigger publications, uh, fancier publications, whatever, to cover it. It kind of starts with us. And I think that it screws up the whole ecosystem of coverage and attention when we're pulled out of it like this. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, it it also, it's where people learn to write. You can write not just the inverted pyramid. You can write a story and have a narrative. And you can bury your lead and not just have to be so obvious about what's happening at all the time and really do artful work that's also investigative that's also sticking a thumb in the eye that's also funny at the same time and you don't i mean the, the kind of stuff that you see in magazines that you see in the new yorker that you see in esquire or or and people don't get those gigs first you have to learn to do that somewhere Tanahasi coates says that the the case for reparations came out of his time working at the Washington City Paper under David Carr when he worked there, learning how to, to do arguments through, make an argument through reported narrative. And like that's something that the city will lose is argument through reported narrative because no one else does that. And these are really interesting. I mean, and I think that I'm going to come back to The Guardian, just San Francisco a little while because I remember that newspaper. Um, as someone who helped found the Liberation News Service back in 1967, and was then working at the Washington Free Press, which wasn't called an alt-weekly, we would call it the Underground Press. The Guardian in San Francisco, I think the guy's name was Brombeck, if I remember yeah. right, right? And Judy Dobbs, who was his wife, who I remember better than I remember he, um, him, um, that they, they started The Guardian back then. And so they were part of the underground newspaper scene in the 60s. And that kind of morphed into them being an alt-weekly now. I mean, back then in the day, they had a relationship with the Black Panther paper. They would trade stories. People were writing both papers. It was so. It was a. Um, I, I remember them really well. So that's, that's, that's like a huge legacy kind of gone down. Yeah, and amazingly, they owned it until 2012 individually, and then finally couldn't hold on anymore and had to sell it to the San Francisco newspaper company. I think it's called. That huh. also owned uh, a daily paper and. Um, you know, where City Paper was founded by Russ Smith and Alan Hirsch in 1977, the right. Washington City Paper, but it was sold long before. So there was this idea when we first, when the Sun first bought it, that like it's going corporate. But in some ways, we'd been corporate for a while. I mean, the the time Shamrock people weren't like 
head sitting in the office burning doobies or anything. <laughs> <laughs> or if they did, they didn't share with us. <laughs> Let's open the phones. 410-319-8888. And I'm going to come back to a couple of things here. Lisa, what you were talking about in the green room, just about the, the, the opening for African-American reporters and writers and that space being diminished. I'm going to get to that. I'm going to get the phones first. We'll come back to that. The whole, that I think it's really important to talk about. Sure. 410-319-8888. Let's go to Hank. You're on the air. How are you doing today, Mr. Stein? Brother Hank, how are you, man? I, I quite often listen to you on, on the latest show on uh, Sean's show. Right? Answer this question, right? What is the possibility of someone buying the Sun paper at co-op and letting it be a city-owned paper, I must say, or better still, right, just going out, doing the whole, your own city thing all online and putting out an app as a co-op app. That way you're keeping the publication going, right? For the love of keeping the publication going until you can generate funds or sponsor enough ads to generate the hard print to put out. What about that? Brandon, um, you want to speak I mean, to that? I, I think that... I've been kind of campaigning for something like that. So, yeah, I would love to do that, Hank. Um, we're trying. Um, the paper is there, certainly. The Sun is interested, is considering sales, but I don't I don't feel too hopeful about that. Um, but what I do think is possible is that something will happen. Something kind of has to happen. The amount of interest and outpouring of support has been really impressive to me. I mean, I think what, for the most of the time, we're used to just people hating us and saying, <laughs> mad, getting mad at us. Kind of was waiting for everyone to be like, good, I'm glad that paper's right. gone. And no one said that. Um, well, some people have, but whatever. Um, and I th so I think we've been considering models like that. There was a consideration of a co-op back in 2014, which Boehner could probably talk about. Um, I wasn't at the paper when it was sold. I, got, I came there a few, week, few months later. Um, we're also considering talking about nonprofit models or seeing if there's some way to build something else. There's a really good model that we've become obsessed with called Binge, the Boston Institute of Nonprofit Journalism that kind of is adjacent to an alt in that city and supports journalism. I think in some ways I'm really glad people are upset about the paper. I appreciate it. But it's really a journalism problem and a revenue and funding journalism problem. And city paper is just one example of it. It's one particularly frustrating example of it. Um, but it doesn't. A lot. Of, if you're mad about the paper, you're kind of also, I think, mad about journalism. Um, but, Beta, do you want to talk about the co-op thing at all, like how that played out or what was fraught about it maybe? Yeah, I mean, when the paper was for sale for a long time before the word came that it was, that it was going to be the Baltimore Sun that bought it. And so we did try to look into creating a, a worker-owned co-op that could own and run the paper. We weren't ever even given, they'd been in negotiations long enough that we weren't ever given the time of day, really, to be able to see that forward. But whether or not it's another company that, that owns alt, so it would be interested in buying us <clears throat> some kind of co-op, some kind of nonprofit model, it'll be a real test of the sun to see if their new slogan, journalism matters today more than ever, um, is actually something that they take to be true. Are they going to allow us to have a city with fewer journalists just so they don't have competition? Or do they really believe that journalism matters and will they be willing to sell it? And that one, That's gonna be their test. And one of the things to kind of piggyback off that and even what you were talking about with like nurturing writers is like, writers need to eat. Like writers need to have health insurance. Like that needs right. to happen. I can't, if, if I had to, I would go back to freelancing because I'm insane and this is the only thing that I want to do. But the quality of my work when I was freelancing and hustling and trying to piece together, I, it, I don't think it was as strong as when I knew that those needs were met. And I think one of the one of the things with journalists is that we we're so used to it, maybe at least in, in this in this era, um, are so used to kind of knowing that we're going to get crapped on and kind of taken less is that it's we've allowed so much to be taken that that's that's not it's our fault. But like that's how we get in this position. Like when we work at City Paper, we all bust our butts especially, you know, Maura and Rebecca, like I don't even know how they have any personal life because they work and aren't compensated nearly enough. And what are the positions at the paper? They are, uh, what is it, the arts? So Rebecca's the arts editor and the fact checker and the intern coordinator, mm -hmm. and Mara is the copy editor and the stage editor and the weekly calendar editor. Yeah, so journalists need to be compensated for our work. That's another thing. And it's not like any of us get into this business thinking that we're going to be rich, but living in poverty and eating macaroni and cheese every day is not going to help 
you know, right. serve the needs of society that we're meeting. And I think, I think what you just said here is also really important to think about, which is that no matter what it is, whether it's being a writer or an artist or whatever, whoever, whatever you do, that the idea that you should be poor and hustling and that's how you're supposed to make your living is absurd. Yeah. I mean, and that that's supposed to kind of give you a creative juice. It drains you. It's yes. the opposite. Yes. It doesn't give you creative juice. It drains you when you're constantly hustling for your... For, for the next book. I mean, I think that's that's really important point for people to understand. And it keeps you from doing long stories, ambitious <laughs> stories, stories that might fail if you always have to be hustling and producing something every minute. And I mean, without revealing anyone's <coughs> details at City Pardon Paper, me. the Chicago Reader, in as part of their effort to be recognized as a union, started publicizing their salaries, the staff members there. And, and one staff member was making $35,000, started in the industry 15 years ago mm. at a small daily making thirty. And only makes 35 working in, in the city of Chicago um, today. So, this is the kind of, and this is fairly standard, I think, across the alt landscape, that this is the kind of numbers that we're looking at for working, uh, you know, 60, 70, whatever hour weeks out, like with people like Maura and Rebecca going out every night. You can't be an art critic and only go to the review, the show that you review. You have to see everything. You can't be the music writer at an alt and not know what's going on in town. You have to be going to 10 more shows than you're ever able to deal with writing about. It's constant work. So we have a very short break. We can come right back. Is, is it time for a break? Am I moving too early? Give it a minute? Fine. <laughs> we'll give it a minute. So... <laughs> I take directions well, sometimes. Uh, so <laughs> so uh, I just want to let my uh, call, our listeners, uh, callers know, Lolita, you're the first caller when we come back from this break. We go Lolita, Patrick, and Robert in that order, one, two, three, and get your thoughts on the table. We're going to come back here and also talk with Lisa Snowden-McCray. I want to hear her thoughts and ideas about what we're talking about in the green room, about uh, African-American writers and this paper and the importance that it plays and why this is also critical to that um, and where the future might live for media in our community. Stay with us. We'll be right back. So, Lolita, hold on. You're the first caller up as soon as we come back from break. Welcome back, folks. This is Mark Steiner. We're talking to the folks from the City Paper today because uh, it's Wednesday. We should do a City Paper segment, but this is also about uh, the closing of the City Paper, uh, which we don't know what's going to happen. It's imminent, but probably be this fall will be uh, when it goes dark. Uh, there are lots of media in town going dark, including the one you're listening to. Uh, and we are about to, at least temporarily, we're about to talk. We're talking with uh, Brandon Soderberg, who is the editor in chief of the City Paper, Lisa Snowden McRae, who is writer and associate editor of the City Paper, Bernard Woods, who is editor at large for the City Paper, and a columnist whose column, Democracy in Crisis, appears in 23 alt weeklies across the country. It's also a podcast that we produce together weekly. Uh, and you all can join us here, 410 319 Tweet us at Mark Steiner. Uh, you can email us at talkasteinershow.org, but 410-319-8888. And Lolita, you're on the air. Welcome. Hi. Good morning. Um, thank you, Mark, and your guests um, for this timely topic. It's just been something that's always been on my mind and the back of my mind of how democracy, we're losing it um, at a time when we really need more objective voices than ever. And it seems like one by one, slowly over a period of years, we're losing it. And now it seems like that is escalating in an age of um, having the kind of president that we have, an authoritarian um, style ruling of government, or governing rather, um, democracy and voices are more important than ever. And somehow I find, I wish that print will remain. Um, I'm old, I'm <laughs> dinosaur, I love <laughs> I love print too. Um, <laughs> I don't necessarily like, um, enjoy, having to find all my information online because I feel like online allows even more greater censorship and control of who gets access to what, especially given, given what our FCC is doing these days. Um, so, you know, we're in danger of losing democracy and having someone in the office who loves using the word fake news, fake news, fake news. I'm confusing people who are already more confused and um, <laughs> I'm I'm finding that this is very appalling, and I really can't or do not like the direction that this country is going towards. Um, it's scary. 
It, it, we, we are in a frightening moment in many ways, both in terms of the media and, and the assault on the media and also the forces that seem to be grabbing hold. Um, uh, and I think you're right. I think this is this is this is this, it's not something to be sanguine about or or, or relaxed about. I think that, that this is very serious business. You know, let's, let's respond to what Lulu was saying. You were shaking your head as she was tweaking, Lisa. Oh yeah, I, that, that's one of the things that I kind of wrestle with because um, I think what she's what is she referring to? It's the the net neutrality, which I haven't totally been on top of, but I think the gist of it is that. It basically makes the internet harder for people, yes. everyone yeah, to right. access. They're gonna, right. Because, like, the internet, I think, has opened up so much voices that, for people, voices that weren't usually heard. Like, I did an interview with a young lady who's a great activist out of Towson University, and she was saying that a lot of, like, black women issues are now being brought to the center because we're able to get online and say, no, you know, these, these stereotypes about us, these lies that you're going to say like they're not and they are able to generate an audience but with things like that like that could possibly shut that down again right exactly and ben you were going to say um, what what lolita said specifically about print i wanted to address because like i think that yeah I, I think we all feel like we're old-fashioned because we like print but um i also think that the story of the paper isn't the story of print dying i think people want to turn it into that um print is in a weird place right now, but I don't think it's dying. I think we need to figure out it's there's a, the, the, all these problems have to do with revenue. Um, and specifically though, what I do worry about with the paper going away or even the consideration of something only online is that the paper I feel like is one of the few things, and I feel like it's important to stress, the paper is still an incredibly white institution, um, but it's it was getting better. Um, but it's one of the few things that young people and old people read and it's one of the few things that black people and white people in the city read, and that's really rare. And it's also, you can pull it off at the bus stop and read it on the bus and throw it out if you want. That's cool, that's great. And that, and in a city where the access to the internet is already limited, where there's whole parts of the city that have, you know, there's media deserts, just like there's food deserts, and mm -hmm. um, that the paper can contribute to that literacy and, and people can see themselves in the paper, that's important. That print element matters for that reason too. Not only because it's sort of a nostalgia for print, but because it actually does have, in some ways, you know, we get like two to three million page views a month online. That's and we a lot. Get, yeah, and we end the paper distributed at 50,000. So in a way, more people or presumably more people are clicking or whatever we're reading. But the idea that we have, we can reach 50,000 people every week and they can pick it up on the bus or they can pick it up because someone else left it on the bus or whatever, those things, and you can encounter things. And that's important, especially, in, and I think it's important towards literacy. That's another thing I think we really lose without a print publication in a city that needs, like, has a literacy problem. And we go back to the phones here. And I, I think that that, and I think I, I also agree that print is not dead. I've been saying a lot lately that to people in these discussions is that, is that print still to me is the prime motivator for the news. The print is what pushes other mediums to pick up news and then to roll with it in a different way. But I mean, I think print is really critical. It's not, it is not dead. People can think print is dead. No, print is not dead. It just has to morph into something different. It's one of the reasons that so much other news is garbage. I mean, because as newspapers and print is going down in revenue, there's less reporting, which costs money. So they just get two talking heads to say opposing things on 24-hour cable. And, and I mean, to address Lolita's point about authoritarianism, it, that really is one of the reasons why we got in this, this place with this reality show authoritarian in office. And now, finally, some of the mainstream press that we've been criticizing for years is catching up. Like, we've always assumed that the flack behind the podium is a liar. And we've always assumed that these, these press conferences are, are worthless. We've always valued honesty and truthfulness and transparency more than we've valued a false balance and false equivalencies and false objectivity of the view from nowhere. We've always tried to tell it as much like we can, as much like it is as we can, because we've never had the access to worry about losing that the mm -hmm. big guys had. Let's reopen the phones at 410-319-8888. Uh, we're going to get all these calls. Robert and Leo. Robert, you're on the air. Welcome. Mark and esteemed guests for allowing me to air my thoughts. I have two questions. I have actually have a question and a comment. My sure. question is, will the city paper go to a, a purely digital format, or they're pretty much abolished and gone altogether? 
Um, I mean, yeah, it's it's shuddering at some point in the fall. There won't be. A, I mean, I I don't know what they'll do with the archives and that sort of thing. But I don't think no, there won't be any. We won't go. The Sun owns it. They can do what they want with it. And there's no discussion of keeping it around in any way. So it'll just go away at some point in the fall. Is what we understand. Yeah. And what was your other question, Robert? Well, what my, and I had a, I had a oh, comment. Oh, go ahead. And, and yeah. Basically, I kind of wanted to the dovetail piggyback on with the other lady previous call I said before me regarding the whole net neutrality situation. You know, I, I look at this as pretty much as, as, as a microcosm of what's going on and, and, what the, and what the grand plan is. Now, Mark, I know that you are, you, you're loathe to engage in uh, conspiracy, conspiracy theories. Um, so, but, but, but a lot of times... It's okay. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. But, but a lot of times, conspiracy theory actually ends up being born out to be fact. Some of it is, right, know? right, right, and, and, right. And what I want to say about the whole net neutrality thing, we know that there's pretty much the powers that be are trying to uh, create a, a tiered system where so they still have access to everything, where us, as plebeians, we, we get pretty much relegated to kind of the scraps that they don't, that they think are harmless to their to their interests. But, but what I want to uh, say, though, is that, you know, I don't get too distracted with Trump. I know that we, we talk about uh, under the current administration, but you have to look at the grand scheme of things. Trump is nothing more than a useful buffoon because he's the bad guy that, that, that not, not the left or not the right, but both sides need because he's that guy that we cannot kind of pinpoint our anger issues towards. But, but the truth of the matter is he's nothing more than a cog in a greater machine because it's all about limiting our thought, controlling with, with the masses, uh, with, 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 yeah, with, with the very uh, gullible uh, uh, masses believe. I don't want to use another word. Like, like, um, like uh, Anyway, my, my, my point is this, is that we, we've gotten to a point where still our thoughts are going to be so controlled and so, and so, and so marginalized that we're really going to be, we're, we're kind of taking it, that one further step towards, towards, I think, militarism. Because the first thing you do is you, you limit the access of the masses to information. Right. And after that, you pretty much start uh, controlling them out of fear, fear, fear of, a, of a greater threat. And so what people have a tendency to do, based on what ben, uh, ben, uh, Benjamin Franklin said, was that those who, who give up their freedom for security deserve neither. And that's what we're doing. We're going on a really slippery slope where so we're giving up our right to um, information, we're giving up the right to, uh, to, 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 uh, to to fight off these vaccination protocols that they're trying to force upon us. We're giving, we're giving up all of our basic rights to the point where so we're going to live in a very militaristic, um, highly uh, autocratic corporatocracy. That's where we're going. Give it 20, 30 years, and we're not going to have any rights at all. Today will be the so-called good old days. Thank you. Robert, thank you so much. Let me just clear one thing. I'll jump through to my guests here. When I say conspiracy theories, I think that what I mean when I say I don't believe in conspiracy theories is that I think that... Look, when you take like net neutrality, to me it's not a conspiracy. Th- conspiracy, it's a reality of the corporate world who owns the means of communication, attempting to control it for themselves and cut poor people out of it and cut people who have no power out of it. They're very conscious about that, uh, and I think that's a very conscious effort. It's something I don't have to kind of find something that's not you know, dig something up. That's what they're doing, and you know, you there have been books now published about. How um, and somebody I've wanted to interview before we go through the air. We're going to interview him for a podcast post this, um, which there are books coming out now about how right wing billionaires and multimillionaires for the last fifty years, forty years, have been working for this moment mm-hmm. and investing to take things things over. This is not a conspiracy. It's what they're doing. Yeah, the you know, conspiracy I mean, is like capitalistic will to power, which is in front of us every day. <laughs> like it's not a conspiracy; it's right there. It's in our face, yeah, really. But I hear what you're saying, Robert, and I think you're. I think we. That's why we don't want to see the places like the city paper go because they are. City papers been unafraid to tell stories, uh, and to investigate things and to put things out there uh, that others, uh, other media, are frightened to do and don't want to do, don't want to take on. So, four one zero three one nine eighty eight eighty eight. Uh, let's go to Leo. You're on the air. Welcome. Good morning, Mark Stein. Leo Burroughs. How are you, brother? Good morning to you, your guests, and everybody in Radio Land. Well, <laughs> you know, the United States is a republic, am I not correct? And it's always been autocratic and uh, a kind of autocratic oligarchy that's operated in this country. <laughs> uh, the talk radio today, Mark, may be the last fiefdom or vestige of free speech in this country. Uh, I'm looking at the 
consistent attacks on the uh, First Amendment and the right of free speech. And, of course, the technology is designed to enslave in many ways, and coupled with the reality that the news medias are, uh, news media is an organ of monopolistic uh, propaganda at this point in time, and I'm not surprised that the Sun Paper and other conglomerates would want to purchase the city paper at all. It is what it is as we move toward pure fascism in the United States. And I guess a combination of continuing to fight to retain print media, newsletters, and whatever else we have is our only, uh, the only way to go in terms of sustaining an effort at democracy, because we've never really been a real democracy, but at least there was, we were better, we fought, than Europeans and other people. But at this point in time, it is a consistent pattern and plan to take away the rights of the masses of the people, and that's not a surprise to anyone. So I appreciate this program and the fact that you're discussing it, because a lot of people have been lulled into, into sleep. You know, they, they're asleep on this issue. They think they're just fine. Well, they're not. We're under attack, and uh, we the people are under attack, and if we don't continue to fight to free ourselves, then it's never going to happen. Lee, always good to hear from you. Um, and let me probably turn back the phone to you, Larry. The next caller up, we're going to come to your call in just a moment. Let me bring up the issues that you all want to make sure you get on the table here before our hour is out. Lisa, why don't we start with you? Yeah, the drum that I always beat and would beat even if City Paper wasn't closing is that we always need more minority voices. And especially in a majority black city like Baltimore, we need black voices. And, um, you know, it's, that's, it's sad that, you know, the Sun just lost a few very good person of color um, reporters in the last few months. Um, I don't know if those positions have been filled. I don't think they have. But, you know, City Paper didn't have a, a, the staff that they should have anyway, but they especially didn't have enough people of color on their staff. They, had, um, they brought me on recently. We have uh, Reggie, who's an amazing photographer, Kenny, who's an amazing journalist. But we need more. We need way more. And, you know, sitting in a black school right now, in their journalism building, I would be remiss not to also challenge whatever students that are listening is to understand that, like, um, that they that they understand the role, the special role that they have. We can't always just come into these roles um, and think that we can be maybe these neutral, fall back on this neutral thing that white media has pe- perpetuated for a very long time in the city. But you know. You need you guys need to ask questions too, and you guys need to demand things from your city and from your school, and kind of fight to make your voices heard. Right, I think that we have this this, this idea that journalism has always been quote unquote objective, right. uh, whatever that means, and that's always kind of been kind of a myth. And that's always served white people and done everybody else very, very, very poorly. <laughs> <laughs> Thoughts here as we go around the table before we open the phones again. Um, I mean, I think I would just stress again, like, what's lost is this ecosystem of, we like, even the idea of, like, something is too controversial to report on until we report on it. And then you do see it in the sun or you see it in Baltimore Magazine or whatever. And that's fine. That's just how it works. But it, when, when you pull that out, I worry about what happens. And that in conjunction with the time spent on our end helping writers that's how I learned to write I started writing for the paper in 2007 I came on staff in 2014 as the music editor and then I learned how to report I didn't know anything about reporting other than reporting on like musicians until I got to the paper I learned all that at the paper from Baynard from Evan from Karen Hooper um, and then from everyone from Lisa from Rebecca Amar I've stolen ideas from everybody and that's been really great and we've tried to do that for other writers I mean I'm I feel like D. Watkins was really firmly established by the time we started writing. He started writing for us, but he said really kind things about Bader and I's work with him, and I appreciate that. I just don't know where where these where writers go, especially in this city. We become even more of a one newspaper town. There's great work being done at the Brew. Real News does great work. You do great work, but you're dead too, Mark. I know. I'm just joking with you. I, I know. Yeah. Uh, right, I feel. Right. Yeah. So, uh, but um. um but we did all the we did a lot of all of those things often at once or tried to, and without that, I think I'm really worried about the landscape. So I think we need to figure out 
a solution to this. Like I said, I think it's a journalism problem in Baltimore as much as it is a, oh, it's very sad the city paper's going away problem. Yeah, I mean, they? just to add on that a little bit and then maybe turn it to you for a minute, the um, this idea of uh, making a Baltimore Institute of Nonprofit Journalism, because we're all learning now that whatever venues there are may go away, but whatever venues remain are always going to have a funding problem. It's expensive to make good journalism, and so if we can find a way to raise money and do something like ProPublica and fund projects that need to be funded instead of only funding the and fund journalists rather than only funding and putting all our hopes in our institutions. But I mean, Mark, your show going away is, is as devastating as, as the city paper to the city's landscape, um, the city's media ecosystem to the chance to have conversations like this. And, and of course we work together. So like both my legs are knocked out uh, <laughs> from under me right now. And, and uh, you know, it, it's devastating, but you've been around long enough. You were mentioning the underground press. You were mentioning, so you've seen some other waves come and go and waves crash on the shore. And, and I mean, what are you seeing of, of, a way for us to, to move forward in the city. What do you see the, the landscape looking like? How do you see us continuing to fight? Because that's the one thing we know is that everyone in this room has got to keep fighting like hell. No, I mean, I, I, think, I think that, you know, there, I keep thinking about, um, if you look at American history and think about where we are as a society, and I, and I always make the analogy of the struggles for freedom in America, right? So you, um, we have this... Uh, this legacy of enslavement and genocide in this country. And not, let me just take it aside. Everything in this country, no, it's not negative. But we, when we start a country as a democracy uh, and believe in these democratic principles, but, those, but that democracy is based on the enslavement of an entire population of, of people of African descent and the genocide of native people who live here in the first place, then there's something corrupt and wrong that eats that democracy from the inside out from the very beginning mm. and uh, hollows it out. And so, we, so you have the end of the Civil War and Reconstruction and the destroying Reconstruction and, and, the, uh, and bringing blacks and whites together and destroying the black rights there and creating this terror that took place in the South. And then the Civil Rights Movement comes in in the, in the, in the 40s, 50s, and 60s and, and destroys segregation. And America has been in a quandary ever since about who we are, how to define, redefine ourselves. I'm saying all that to say that, yeah, there's a demise here the city paper, but I think something will rise out of that. And I think that there's too much uh, energy, um, there's too much intellect and power among the people who have created the city paper, the writers and the people who work there, the work that's going on, the people who have come out of the Mark Steiner show over the years, and people like Aaron Henkin who's doing out, doing out of the blocks, and the, the women here at Rise of Charm City who did incredible work. People came out of our work that created new work. So I think there's going to be something that will evolve. I don't know what that is yet, but I really, really do feel like something is going to evolve and change. I mean, there are people here in the city, I think, who want to invest in that as well and see that happen. I think there can be a synergy of forces to make something new happen in this town. And, I, and I, so I don't think it's over. I think we're going to be, I think it's going to be hard for a while. I think we're going to be hard put for a while because we're, we're not going to have those voices that we need to have. Um, and I think that's going to be really detrimental to our community. But there are many things that I think bubbling up in this city and across the country. So I, I feel not pessimistic. I just feel like, you know, we're in this that that we're also in a situation where capitalism cannot cannot respond. They don't have the answers that they had before, mm -hmm. and so. But I think that we do have alternative answers, and we're just going to have to develop those together collectively, you know. And I think that. Uh, I think that, I mean, I, so I don't know where it's going to end up, but I have, I have a, not necessarily a negative feeling about where the future is going to be. I mean, one challenge we have, and, and so if you want to help us, keep an eye out because I think we're all going to be trying to figure stuff out. And it'll take experimentation and possibly failure. Um, you know, but I, I want to sort of give a shout out to the Knoxville Mercury, which published its last issue today and rose from the ashes of the corporate. Uh, shutdown of the Metropulse in that city, and they became a nonprofit, put out a paper like the city paper, put out 108 issues, and they had to, they announced a couple days, but two days before the Sun announced the closure of city paper that their last issue would be published today. So, 
uh, you know, those guys are really inspiring. There's people there and, and the work they're doing and, and maybe helping us see some paths ahead and also avoid some other pitch, pitfalls. So much love and grim solidarity to them. <laughs> so let me open the phone. Let's get these callers in if we can before the end of the hour. 410-319-8888. Let's go to Larry. You're on the air. Welcome. Good morning, Mark. And I want to first of all just make a few quick points. One, I again, I'm always sorry to hear that anyone's out of a job, especially young people who are trying to make a difference in their community. Yep, yep. But I'm going to say that for years now I've seen this coming, and it wasn't hard to see the writing on the wall. Uh, the city paper, you know, it's a great alternative voice, but uh, the cell phone and the computer has um, slowly put it to an end. Years ago you'd see people in the bar having a pint, relaxing, reading the city paper. Now everyone in the bar is staring at a screen. So, you know, I'm sorry to say this. It's, uh, it, was, it wasn't hard to see this coming. Um, you know, there's got to be out of, like the guys were saying, out of the ashes, something else must arise. So, you know, you can't give up hope. And, you know, and I also hear that there's a strong racial component to this. And, you know, there are other voices for the black community, including, you know, like the final call and, and other, uh, you know, black media outlets. And, you know, maybe those kind of things are the answer if, if they feel that the demographic was too white. Um, I never felt that. I felt that the, the, the city is a, is a mixing pot. I've lived all over the United States, and blacks and whites mix here, and they get along. Not always, but, uh, you know, it's a good thing, and the city paper was part of that. So I'm going to take my comment off the air. Thank you. The thing that, that was good for me about the city paper and what I tried to kind of emphasize with my comments to students is that there are existing black institutions but they don't always rock the boat as much as city paper did i wish they did more but you know for whatever reasons they don't so that was why i think the city paper was a great venue for me um people sitting in the bar not reading a paper but staring at their phones it kind of reminds me of my husband who sometimes tells me that he doesn't read but then he'll tell me all day, like, everything that happened. <laughs> and that's because he read it all on his phone because people aren't maybe aren't always reading a, a physical paper. But when they have their phone out, they're reading just the, just the same. So I don't, I don't think that that's necessarily a reason for the writing being on the wall for city paper. And a quick thought about that before we hit another caller before we end. That, that, that's a good response. 410-319-8888. Kenneth, you're on the air. Welcome. Hey, good morning. How are you doing? Very well. Good morning, Kenneth. Uh, for the city paper, huh? Wow. It seems a lot of changes going on in Baltimore lately. The buses now the city paper. I, you know, <laughs> you, you can't uh, you can't get uh, uh, the good uh, ads and stuff like uh, from uh, like you do. Uh, the Sun doesn't offer. In other words, Sun does. Sun paper doesn't offer uh, good ads and good information like the city paper does. You know. Uh, for musicians, uh, for, for medical studies, uh, a lot of things that you get out of city paper that I found you couldn't get out of the, uh, the sun paper. What do you think? You know, uh, I, I, I well, thought they offered a, a good a good amount of uh, news and information. I thought it was a very good paper. Uh, and then it was free, too. So, you know, um uh, so I, I really don't know what to say at that point other than I'm going to be missed. I mean, it's going to be missed. Well, Kenneth, you know? I, I do appreciate the call. I mean, I, I think, let me just throw this out. I, you know, I think there are a lot of really good reporters at The Sun who do yeah. some Definitely. really good work. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I, I, so I mean, we, people like to bash this all the time, but I read it every day. Um, and it's not as big as it was, not as thick as it was, not as good as it was, I think, at once, that it once was. But, you know, like the series that, let's say, Doug Donovan just finished doing was very powerful in terms of evictions and what's happening in the city and, and housing. And, the, and, the, and that kind of work is really important. Um, and I think that they, they do that work. And I think the problem is that the corporate, the corporate control does not invest in papers like The Sun to allow them to do the work that reporters want to do. That's the problem. Someone inside The Sun once told me that it was like they had an immunodeficiency that anything that was strong management attacked and tried to destroy. Um, and there's, there's, and so I think that, yeah, the reporters are working as hard as they can um, and doing with, with increasingly less, 
But nevertheless, the Sun is a big institution, and there's a way in which, and Brandon's talked about this before, that institutions favor institutions, and so they'll always print the police report rather than necessarily the other side. And so they show you the an instit- If you read the Sun, you wouldn't necessarily know what it feels like to live in Baltimore. I feel like you read City right. Paper and you get a feeling that you're jostling elbows right. and you you have a sense of what it feels like to live here, to exist here, and to be here now. Like your story about Turner Station and more. I mean, that's that's mm-hmm. what that felt like. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> no, but I think that is, that is important. I mean, it is. You, could you, you, I mean, that's part of the role of weeklies like the city paper is to give you a feel for the street, for the community. And I think that especially in the last four or five years, the city paper has done that in, a, in, a, in, in, in sort of profound, profound ways. That haven't happened before, with, and I think that's that's really going to be missing. Um, and you know, besides the light light-hearted part of it as well is going to be missed as well. But I mean, I think, and the cultural aspects of it. I mean, all of that is just. I think that's um, you know, I mean, it's interesting that the city paper and the WEA both start at the same time. Wow. Nineteen seventy-seven. Yeah, it is interesting. I mean, and it's it's the last two callers have both mentioned things about public space, about not reading the paper in the bar anymore, about the buses changing. And, and I mean, there is something where a print paper can connect with the city in a way that a website never can connect with the city, I think, at least so far. Websites haven't figured that out. The, the boxes around the city are tied to space and are tied to place. And we're with each other when we're do when we're reading it, rather than or even covering yourself up with it to sleep on the bench. You're, um, you know, you're out in public when you're doing that, rather than lost in that wormhole of your phone. Well, you know, we we will continue as long as we can continue and keep these things rolling. Um, and we are not done yet. And uh, the city paper may be closing in a month or so, but I think the energy of the reporters and people working for it will keep it alive in many ways. We're not seeing now. We'll see what the future brings. And so we're not done yet. Um, and so we'll, we'll talk about the city paper again next week. Uh, <laughs> we have been here with Brandon Soderberg, who is the editor-in-chief of the city paper. We had Lisa Snowden-McRae, who is writer and associate editor of the city paper. With Bainard Woods, who is editor-at-large for the city paper and the columnist who writes Democracy in Crisis, a column in 23 alt-weeklies across the country. That's also a podcast that we share uh, every week here on the Mark Steiner Show and around the country. Uh, thank three of you so much for being in the house today. Yeah, we love you, Mark. Yeah, thank you, Mark. Good to Thanks. have you all here. We're taking a break. When we come back, we're going to be looking at a report put out by the Center for Popular Democracy, Freedom to Thrive. It shows Baltimore is not alone. It looks at cities across America about where money is being invested, how it's being invested, the role of police, the power of that kind of where that money goes in our cities, and what do you do to change it and the movements around the country that are seeking to change it. So we get into that with local activists and with Jennifer Epps Addison, who is president and co executive director of the Center for Popular Democracy. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Thank you.